Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. I think our conversation this week sort of builds off of what we talked about last week um, in certain ways. Last week we were talking about the, the ways in which, you know, just by Torah law, there's like some amount of ambiguity about what's actually forbidden. Um, and, you know, we, this came up specifically with the question of unmarried women going to mikvah, where we talked about how, you know, if you look just in the Torah, it's not so clear. Um, even if you look in the Talmud, it's not so clear, you know, yes, you're not, you know, a man's not supposed to sleep with a, uh, uh, you know, a girl who isn't married, but is there really a prohibition? Is it a rabbinic prohibition or is it like really a Torah level prohibition? And so that's what we talked about. Um, last week. This week, there's sort of another different, but in some ways similar kind of rabbinic edition on the laws um, from from the Torah, which is the law of Yichu, the prohibition against being secluded with someone of the opposite gender who is not married to you and is not, you know, an immediate relative of yours. So like parents, sister, and so forth, fine. But um, beyond that, it becomes complicated. Um, for example, actually, you know, adopted, uh, adoption is very complicated in the, you know, in the far-right Orthodox world because of issues of Yichud, um, of whether, you know, if a child is adopted once they, you know, reach an age of maturity, is there a problem with them being alone with an adopted mother? You know, things like that, um, which for most of us are like, of course not, that's his mother. Um, but but these questions of Yichud really do become prominent in a lot of different areas of being alone with, um, again, who is not an immediate relative. Sort of the same people when we talk about the prohibitions on touch. You know, you can, you can hug, a, you know, a, a man can hug his mom or sister or obviously like daughter, but beyond that, it becomes more complicated. So it's the same kind of thing with Yichud. Those same people who there's um, prohibitions against touching, at least in a romantic, you know, or potentially romantic way, there's prohibitions wow. about being secluded with them. Um, Yehud, I think, comes up in many ways, in many contexts in this episode. Um, you know, the one that sort of interested me particularly was the Nazi in the car with the woman, I forget her name. Um, so, that you know, that's one where, you know, Often there's conversation about, you know, people are more lenient often when it comes to things like being alone in a car because there's windows and everyone can see. And yet we saw from this episode, I don't know, maybe it's more complicated in a car. You're very close to someone. There's sort of a ease of, um, you know, of touching, let's say, which access. might... What? what? Access. Like you can... Yeah, ease of access, right? And I mean, potentially even there's a difference between sitting in the front versus the back seat of a car, right? That sort of establishes a difference. Um, so, you know, there's that scene. There's also the Avner and, and Yifat scene where, you know, again, Yifat doesn't think about this as being a problem. It's, oh, I'm having this guy over to my house to have cookies, you know, but at the same time, they're alone in her house with no one else there. Um, that's a problem. And, and it becomes a problem because he, you know, let's say makes an advance or certainly seems to make an advance. Um you know, and then, and then we finish with Amir, Amir and Nifat and sort of this question of, is he going to sleep over? He sort of is saying that he's suddenly has a crush on her. Um, yeah, Nazi was often alone with Nifat. So they do not seem to be very careful about the laws of Yichud at all, ever, um, in this show. Um, generally, though, you know, we'll note that one of the laws, one of the rules when it comes to Yichud is that it's, you know, if it's, uh, if there's a decent likelihood of someone coming in, you know, either you leave the door open or you leave the door certainly unlocked, um, um, all these kinds of things, you know, and so I think Ifat in her apartment, there's at least an argument to make that Yichud might not have been a problem because her roommates were so frequently coming in and out that, you know, there wasn't real privacy. In her house out in the mountains, like it's a different story, no one else is coming in. Um, so, oh, I shot, sorry. 
No, I think that that's a major leniency. Like, I think that, you know, just assuming that someone might come in the house, like, I, I mean... Well, I, certainly I, you should leave your apartment door agree. open and things like that, you know. Yeah, um, yeah no, I mean, like, I'm not saying it's great, but I'm saying there's at least, even if I would say, okay, they're not doing, you know, they're not following the laws of Yehud, they're at least, there's like probably, some consciousness yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, but in this episode, we see a few instances in which you know, you really have a man and a woman secluded in a place where there's no one's going to interrupt if anything were to happen. There's sort of very much a sense of being alone, right? Even if someone, you know, um, came after the other, like there's no, there's no one around. Um, which well, is- Amir, when Amir's with Yifat, um he actually says, you know, he's looking at the situation differently now. Up to now, he had a different view perhaps because he was surrounded by other people. And now he's thinking differently of your thought. Right, which you would expect then she would not offer for him to sleep over, right? right. And she's mixed all confused. Of a sudden, uh, Rob Pernick and I were talking about this last night. Like all of a sudden in this episode, he like loves her. We go from them having Shabbat dinner together every week for the past nine episodes. And now all of a sudden he's in love with her. Okay, fine, whatever. Might not have been the best writing ever, but okay. Um, but the fact that he says that to her, right, mm-hmm. that that seems to be um, the opposite of an invitation to have him sleep over, especially if you're trying, if you're worried about the laws of Yichud, right, it's very different to have a friend, but it's not very different halachically, it's very different in your mind to have a person stay over for whom you don't have romantic feelings for or don't assume they have romantic feelings for you. It's very different if the person says to you, to your face, I have feelings for you. Oh, sure, why don't you sleep over? Like that that seems to be kind of completely going against the but, law. But she's so confused because uh, she's very lonely. Right. She wants company, but again, she doesn't want to break rules you know yeah karen just said he visited ifat and saw her in a different way uh yes you and Rabbi perna can have a conversation about that i i just yeah sure yeah okay yeah i agree it's like he saw her in a different context away from friends away from jerusalem she's out in the mountain wait 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 a minute wait a second yeah you're gonna argue with me rabbi s um i (laughs) he disagrees i'm totally on your side karen but yeah okay me too i'm with karen we can talk about it another time. I don't think that's how things work, but we can talk about it another time. Um, I don't think that you all of a sudden visit someone 15 minutes away from where you live and all of a sudden you're in love with them. I don't think that's how it works. First of all, he's divorced. He's into what next to do, and then nobody said hello to me, but they said hello to you, and it's the color of the kippah, whatever's going on. Then yeah, yeah. he and the one I shall, that's nameless, talked about. Ifat being in a way and she's really, you know, somebody to think about. In other words, okay, you know what? I'm not going to have an argument with you. No, 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 no. I, first of all, I love when you have arguments with me, but we, um, I agree with that point. I agree that there is something about her that he is interested in from before, that he finds her to be someone who brings their friends together, who yes. has this overwhelming kindness, all these cook. Yeah, all that. Yeah, she cooks, great. Yeah, exactly. Natty was in the way exactly. before. Natty was in the way. Natty's his buddy. And she knows he oh. felt like Natty. Okay, all right. You're all convincing, sure. <laughs> I think I think there's also an element, you know, in Jerusalem, you're sort of, you're, I mean, you're a guy who was married and like had a home. I mean, it was an apartment, but he had a, he had a home, as, as it were. And now he's, you know, hanging out in this sort of like very friends context with a bunch of people all together. And suddenly, right, he sees her and she has a home. She like has literally, you know, a house out in the mountains. Suddenly it's just like things appear differently. Um, and I think it, it does change, you know, change his, the way he sees her. Suddenly it's like he hadn't even thought about that before. He was kind of interested in Ra'ud and whatever. And now it's like, oh. Look at it, you know, it's sort of, he, yeah, sees her in the way. Okay, Renee's been raising her hand for a while, as is my, as, as my uh, only father is raised. But um, Renee, me. But I think I was going to ask you when you were talking back whether or not uh, the situation with uh, with her and the married guy uh, also constituted Ehud. 
breaking Yichud, but you already talked about that. Yeah, okay, certainly, yeah. So Yichud, I, I think she, I think like Karen, I think he, he saw her in a different light now. And, you know, he took her out of the context. She's in a different place. I think he probably had feelings for her prior to that too, but I think it was more, it was a different level. It was under different levels. I don't know. I think she has the headband on. She's in the mountains. It doesn't matter. I think it matters. I think it matters. Or the Cuba. Yeah, it was the food. Food is also, food, the food was actually a big, a big convincing point too, I think. Okay. We're going to call on the other Rabbi Pernick and because he's probably not going to talk about headbands. So, Okay. Well, there, I was going to talk about one thing, but I'm going to end up with another one. So um, my mom um, had a cookbook that some of the people here might know, and it was called the Settlement Cookbook, right? And the, the, at the beginning of it, it said the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Mm-hmm. So I think the food is a factor. And, and for one of the few times in my rabbinic career, I would like to actually use the to quote the great Ben Bogbog, who, you know, <laughs> I mean, I've been waiting for like 38 years to do this, but, you know, he said, turn it over and over and over again, because everything is in it. So you need to look at everything from different perspectives and kind of, as other people have said, she was part of a Hevra, you know, and she was seen as a part of a Hevra. And all of a sudden she's an independent single woman in, you know, it's it's a she's seeing. I think it's like he's seeing her brand new. Yeah, convinced. I'm convinced. All right, good job. Okay, Rosh, do to tell your favorite Yichud story, and then we'll get into the topic. Rabbi Pernik, why don't you continue telling us what the topic is, and then maybe I'll share my favorite Yichud. Ah. Okay, so we're talking about we're so okay. So the topic is Yichud, and because a few people have been asked, you know, have asked, what's the question? What's the topic today? So. Um, you know, in looking at this prohibition of seclusion, of being alone with, you know, someone who's, who you're not married to, um, who is not, you know, not an immediate relative. And the question, uh, Bonnie, I think, is like, is this a Torah prohibition? Is this a uh, rabbinic prohibition? What, you know, sort of what's the story there? So actually the, the origins of the prohibition of Yehud come from the story of Amnon and Tamar. If people remember that from the book of Samuel, which is actually a story of half siblings, uh, King David's son and daughter from different mothers, where Amnon suddenly sort of develops this infatuation with his half sister and sets up a situation in which he's, you know, pretending to be sick. He's in bed, you know, and his friend tells him to do this. And, you know, and his father, the king says, you know, what can we do to make things better? And he says, oh, you know, what? I think if my sister came and gave me some food, then that would make right back to the food. See, we're not, we stayed connected. So, you know, it says if my sister Tamar came and gave me some food, I think that would make me feel better. And so his sister, you know, half sister Tamar comes and he says, oh, I need everyone else to leave. And so, you know, just Tamar, you stay here. And um, she does, and he grabs her and she says, you know, what are you doing? This is, this is, you know, terrible. Um, And basically he, won't stop and he ends up raping her and then i mean the story as it goes on he then as soon as he um you know rapes her then suddenly he despises her and then her full brother Absalom ends up killing him whatever it's a disaster sending um with a lot of people ending up dead as a result um um but the rabbis in the Gemara say, you know, this actually, that story is the origin of this prohibition of Yichud, which is not a Torah prohibition. The Torah never says you can't be alone with someone. But the rabbis say, you know, if this could happen to Tamar, who's the daughter of kings, and she wasn't being promiscuous or anything, right? She was modest. She was doing everything the right way. Um, Again, she's a princess, all of that. And, you know, if this could happen to her, her sort of mourning after the fact, they say, based on her mourning, they say, you know what, if this can happen to her, this can happen to anybody. Um, and so we need to set up a system to prevent that from happening, which is where the laws of Yichud come from, of being secluded. And, you know, and from Tamar, we learn about being secluded with someone who's um, you know, unmarried, but not a relative. Because if you just sort of derived it from the laws in the Torah, what we call the arayots, you know, the forbidden sexual relations, that would be, you know, an aunt and, a, you know, sort of family members of different sorts. Um, but they say from the story, from Tamar, they learn that it really applies to anyone who's, you know, unmarried. Um, so that's sort of the, the, the main 
theme that we're going to talk about today. Again, in Srugim, they're not machmir on Yichud ever. Um, but in this episode, we really see some of the ramifications of that, of situations that arise really as a result of that seclusion, right? Avner would not have presumably done that in a public scene where someone could walk in, nor would Nati and Michal, I think is her name. Um, right, so there's sort of things that happen as a result of seclusion that probably would not have happened otherwise. So Renee just asked a question, just to me, but I assume that it was to be answered for everyone, um, given that it's not a personal question to me. Um, she said, do you find that people who observe Yichud change how they observe it based on situations? Um, so Rabbi Pernick, if you would like to speak to that. I can speak to my experience, but you could speak to like factual knowledge. Sure, yeah. Really let, me, let me preface where that came from. I, I saw a client once who was black hat, black hat, black robe, the whole, the whole nine yards. And he was, interestingly enough, the only client that I've ever had to this day who, when he came into the office that I had at that time, lo- closed the door and locked it. Interesting. Yeah. Seems to be the opposite of what he should have done. But Right. I mean, and I was, you know, knowing, obviously, of the religiosity and Yehud, I was perfectly prepared to, I le- when he came in, I left the door open. Because yeah. I figured that's what he would want to do. I wonder if it, because it was in the, con- I mean, I know what you do for a living. So I wonder if it, because it was in the context of that kind of experience, if it was because he actually he knew that he was get similar to like going to a doctor, right? He knew that he was getting an experience that in the world of Yehud might not have been seen as sneeze, right? As modest, but, but that because it was helping him with what he, what he was going through, right? That he was able to, to make like a separation. And though the locked door piece seems to be, um, the opposite of what he should do that potentially that allowed other people to not see that he was engaging in this kind of um, experience that he mm. knew was one that was safe quote, f- you know, from, from any kind of romantic, anything that would be happening and was more of a consultation right. um, and wouldn't allow people to see in as to, you know, make any judgments about it. I don't know. Rabbi Pernick might have more thoughts on that. That would just be. My I mean, opinion. that's what I thought. He just didn't want yeah. people to see that he had come in there. But I, I was just was yeah. mind blo- mind blowing to me that, like I yeah. said, of all the people that I've ever seen, that Dafka him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there is a principle in Jewish law um, in about how, in situations where really the concern, the reason we prohibit, is because of chashad, because of a concern that it'll look suspicious or that someone might do something wrong. Um, that when it's sort of an established um, professional situation, we're not concerned about that. So by the way, one of the major places that this arises is when it comes to bread. Um, that in theory, you know, some people only eat pot Yisrael or pas Yisrael, bread that's cooked by a Jew. Um, but then there, but there's, as opposed to pas akum, um, you know, non-Jews bread. But there's a leniency when it comes to what's called pot palter, which is baker's bread. And the reason is that, you know, people assume, oh, with, you know, with non-Jews, they might be putting other things in their bread. Who knows, you know, if it's not certified, it's a problem. But with a baker, we know a baker is not going to do anything untoward. They're not going to put in things other than what they say, because if they get found out, which eventually they would, it would destroy their business. Um, and so in certain cases, we, ha- we can be lenient um, because of the professional ramifications of a person doing what we would, be, what we would suspect them of would be so great. Um, this, by the way, applies also to a taxi driver, that some of the concerns about Yehud in a car, you know, if, uh, about, you know, driving someone um, and, you know, and there's, you know, there's concern about um, being alone in a car with someone who, you know, there's some room for leniency or of Moshe Feinstein um, writes about, you know, that you can be lenient if there's a situation in which it would sort of reflect poorly on you. Um, but in general, we don't, it's better not to be alone in a car with someone who you wouldn't be secluded with. Um, but for a taxi driver, it doesn't apply because the same thing it would destroy their business. They would, you know, if they did anything, the word would get out and they would have no profession anymore. So that, that taxi you know, driver so, is what, who you're talking about. The taxi driver. Yeah. Just to be clear. We're not talking about 
We're not talking about someone getting into a taxi. We're talking about the driver not saying no to certain passengers. Or vice versa. A woman doesn't need to say, oh, I can only be in a car with a female taxi driver. She can get in anyone's taxi, even though they're alone, because... Or like Uber in today's... Or Uber, exactly. Same kind of thing. So um, so that, you know, to Renee's point, that actually, that is a, a... important distinction that if it's sort of an established professional relationship, um, then we're not so concerned. I mean, there's still in some cases concerned, but, but it, that sort of eliminates one of the one, one level of concern. So I, um, can you speak a little bit, I know you did this before, but can sure. you, or I think you did this before. Can you speak a little bit to the scenarios in which you would, um, be more, not you, Josh Pernick, but you, the basis of halacha, would be more concerned with um, with being in a car versus not, like in terms of side streets and traffic and like, can you go into that a little bit? Sure. So, well, I mean, one thing that I haven't, I didn't see raised explicitly, but is, um, I, you know, is sort of feel-wise is a difference, is like sitting in the front seat versus in the back seat, um, just in terms of ease of access, right? Um, and I think the the sort of the sense of the relationship, there's something about sitting in the backseat of a car that makes it feel like someone is driving you somewhere, as opposed to sitting in the front seat where it's there's a, a closeness. So there's a physical closeness, but there's also sort of a, I don't know, almost emotional closeness, as it were. Um, it was interesting back in the day when I interned in Montreal, Uber was not yet legal in Canada, but it existed. But when you called an Uber, the, you had to sit in the front seat because if you sat in the back seat, people, you know, whatever that you, know, you would be seen and spotted and they would know that it was an Uber. But if you sit in the front seat, then it looks like they're picking up their friend okay. <laughs> so thing for a while in Montreal. I think now it's Uber. It's legal in Montreal. So that changed. But a lot of the Ubers and taxis also have a machiza now. Mm, I said that too. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. I mean, not really a machitza, but it is physically a machitza. They have that. Yeah, that right. Yeah, divider. You know, it's for, sort of for everyone's safety, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you're talking so, about, like the route a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, well, Sarav Moshe Feinstein talks about, uh, he has a, a tshuva. I can, I can put it on the screen if you want. Um, but he, you know, I'll just share my screen a little bit. Um, so, he talks about different contemporary, uh, you get, you know, I mean, not contemporary, contemporary, because he lived a little, you know, he died a few decades ago. Um, but he talks about, you know, one of his topics is nisia im ishab mechonit, you know, driving, traveling with a woman in a car. And what he talks about there is he says, you know, there are situations, he says, look, lichat chila, like in an ideal case, it's better not to be, what? You know that we can't see, and like we're looking at a very small piece of text. Oh, sorry. I'll just yeah, do the English and translate it. Uh, <laughs> I did a screenshot for the Hebrew because I didn't yeah, want to type you it. You can't read it though, so that wasn't. Okay. Um, so he talks about, you know, lichat chila. Like in an ideal case, it's better not to be alone in a car with someone who's yichud is a problem for. Um, because there's a concern, he says, you know, even if you're going on a large public thoroughfare, you know, even one in which people travel at night, look, there's a possibility of turning the car off of the public thoroughfare onto a small street. Um, you know, he says, even during the day, there's a potential problem as, you know, the driver could take the car far from the public thoroughfare to a place with lots of trees, um, where there's privacy, you know, where there, where, um, they can engage in intercourse where like there's, you know, even in the day, it's a problem. And at night, even more so, right? Where the car, you could turn off the lights in the car and kind of have a lover's lane. Um, but then he notes in a time of need, you know, and the examples he gives are, you know, if a woman needs a ride to a place that her neighbor is going to anyway, right? So you say, I'm going to the supermarket. She says, oh, can I go with you? You know, you're, you're already going there. Someone's saying, oh, I'm going to the same place. Can I catch a ride with you? So in that case, the sort of the destination is already set. It's not like, hey, I'm offering right in the Nazi case, he's offering to drive her totally out of his way to take her home. That's like a little bit more problematic versus I'm going to this location anyway. Um, Why didn't you hop in? It's like giving someone a ride to the airport, right? You're both going to the airport. Exactly. You're both going, you're less worried about the deviation from the route because this person's going there for their own reasons anyway. Um, and then but also if there's says, no transportation, if there was no public transportation available, he didn't really have an option. 
That's other than offer her uh, to offer to take her. I mean, it was either that or she'd spend the night. She can't walk home from there. She could have taken the bus. It's just harder to take the bus off of, I think what they were implying was that from what I know from family who are doctors, that after you've spent a 24 hour shift at the hospital, you're exhausted and you're also dealing with morning traffic. And so what she was saying was like, it's such a headache to have to take the bus early in the morning when all I want to do is get home. It's going to take me a lot longer. And so he says, let me just take you. Right. That's what was happening. Um, you know, well, Robert- one thing that, that I would just like to add here is yeah. that I think there's a difference when, when both people are interested in each other and when there isn't that connection. So in the case with Yifat and the security guy, I forget his name. Awesome. She, she was not interested in him. She didn't even think about it. It was like something totally off her radar because he was married and had three kids. Yeah. In the case with Nati and the other, I, I guess she was another doctor or a nurse. Yeah. He, he was not at all interested in her. She might've been interested in him, but he wasn't at all interested. You, in her. She seemed to be pretty interested in him. She was like giving him massages. Yeah, was- all right, but he wasn't <laughs> at all interested in her. He put his ear pods in all the time. Didn't want to right. listen to her. Didn't respond to her kiss or anything. What, is interesting is that no one's talking about the uh, scooter ride with Ruti and that uh, teacher who, and I think they were both kind of interested in each other. And that's a hell of a lot more intimate than being in a car. He had to have his arms around her waist. So it's interesting you bring that up because I knew that this was a topic that that Rob Pernick wanted to talk about. And so I watched the episode after he did and I noticed that moment and he doesn't have his hands around her, which made me very nervous for him. He has his hands by the side, by his sides. um, And I, you're right that, or I actually don't know if you're right. I'll ask Rob Pernick to answer. I don't know if that would be a case of Yichu because they're out in the open and he's not touching her, but you're, but you are right. At least I think you're right. That that is, a much closer proximity than if you were in an auditorium with someone of the opposite gender and yet that is considered yichud but you're you know a football field away from the person and yet being on a scooter because you're outside and there are no walls all of a sudden that's not yichud um so it's interesting what those what those boundaries do to this halachic principle right and it's i mean that's an interesting point again i mean like rabbi shatz is saying you know there actually isn't a prohibition of Yehud with what happens on the scooter. Um, they're out in public, you know, anyone can see them. They're, you know, so they're not in a secluded space. And again, the, the a car is, is sort of seen as not by itself a secluded space, unless you bring it to a secluded space. Um, a car on the road is not considered a problem. You know, on a thoroughfare isn't considered a problem, but as soon as, you know, you take it somewhere else, now it is a problem. Um, but with Ruud and Yochai, who are dating at this point, um, you know, it's actually halakhically not a problem. You, you know, it, they're very close to each other. <laughs> like they're, um, it's sort of this, you know, intimate kind of connection, but it's actually halakhically fine. Whereas, you know, Avner and Ifats and so forth, like those are, those are much more problematic because they're really alone. Um, there's a question in the chat that you should answer, but um and I'm happy to give my own commentary. Um, but I think that there's there's something, and you were the one who brought this up, that, that it's not just that Yichud is happening or not happening. It's the ramifications around if you're in a situation where Yichud is happening, right? And so what we saw in this episode was that the moments in which there were, there, there, there was... Um, the moments in which there was Yichud, right? There are moments in which two people of the opposite gender were left alone together. There were moments of either sexual touch or any some kind of romantic uh, exchange. And that had there not been Yichud, right? Had there been other people around, potentially those things wouldn't have happened, right? The, the married man would not have touched... Um, Ifat's shoulder, uh, it's possible that Amir wouldn't have asked to sleep over if the bus 
had been running later, who knows? Um, but those, those, pe those moments of Yichud is what then leads to something else. And that I think is the most interesting part of this. It's not necessarily the Yichud, whether or not they are in Yichud or not, but the fact that there is something that comes out of them being in Yichud that might be seen as inappropriate. Yes? No? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you want to answer the question in the chat? The one from Lisa? Yeah. Or, yeah, Yichud is, is largely about perception. Um, you know, that's sort of the main, the main piece. So a Jewish marriage, uh, I shouldn't say Jewish marriage, a traditional, you know, halachic marriage has three parts to it. It has kiddushin, it has, you know, the betrothal, as it were. Um, well, it's nowadays it has chuppah, it has, you know, standing under a symbolic house together, and then it has yichud. Um, it has seclusion with that other person for 10 minutes or so. Um, and at that point, you're Chabad says eight minutes. Okay, Chabad says eight minutes. So whatever. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> traditionally, what actually happened was there were. I mean, it was it was essentially two parts. There was no chuppah. There was no four poles with people holding them and a talit over the top. The chuppah is representative of a house. Back in the day, you didn't go to a chuppah. You went to the house and you were secluded with the person, and that was the marriage. <laughs> that was it. Um, you did the sheva bracha. You did the seven blessings when you enter this house, right before you enter the house with this person, and then you're in the house and you're married. Um, and the idea is that as soon as you're in yichud with someone, as soon as you're secluded with someone, um, we sort of assume that you're having sexual relations with them, um, halachically. And so it's sort of like, nowadays, you know, we have the chuppah, but the chuppah is public, right? It's visible. So you need the yichud in addition, which is why like you actually need to go into the yichud room because if you don't, you haven't, you've, you know, we talk about consummating the marriage. It's not actually consummating. Like people don't, people very rarely have sex in the yichud room. Usually they eat food because they're about to not that's eat at why, the wedding. That's why the timing is important because you need to be able to tell the caterer. I seriously deal with this all the time. You have to be able to tell the caterer how long they have before they should bring food into the room because that's when they're going to eat appetizers when everyone else is eating appetizers. I... This is one of the main questions I get about weddings. How long do we have to be in Yichud before we get food? Anyway, continue. No, but usually usually there's food in the Yichud room. But usually the caterer has to bring it in after a certain period of time because I want people to be in Yichud without a, a waiter coming in. Right, so the food should be there beforehand. Okay, anyway, continue. Anyway, yeah. um, but either way, right, so like there's sort of that assumption that if you're in Yichud, you're having sex, and that's why with our the way we do our marriages nowadays, which is not the way they were done historically, um, with the chuppah being symbolic, you know, you still need yichud because until you've been secluded with this person, it's like, okay, well, there's no possibility for you to be having sex. And so the marriage is sort of not complete. Again, you don't need to have had sex for the marriage to be complete, but you need to have had the opportunity to. Um, and so like, it's very much about sort of that perception and, and um, you know, when it comes to yichud, and that seclusion part is very important. So, you know, that Lisa's point about perception is also, right, is really important in a number of ways. I mentioned earlier on how in the Haredi world, adoption is very complicated because an adopted child, right, <laughs> it could be longer, there, you know, there's a minimum amount of time. Um, yeah, so the... Um, and you, by the way, you have witnesses outside the door for the yichud also. That's like one of the things you need to um, kosher witnesses. But um, going back to adoption, you know, in our world, like if you see a 12-year-old boy with, you know, a 40-something-year-old woman, like, and she clearly seems to be in a maternal role there, no one's thinking, oh, they're having sex. It's like, oh, that's a parent-child relationship. And if they don't look similar, you might say, oh, that's an adult uh, adopted parent child. You know, they're the parent and child. They're just adopted. Um, but, you know, in the Haredi world, that's actually often less so. And, and adoption is much more complicated once the child reaches the age of maturity, because suddenly they're like, oh, no, Yichud might be a problem. Um, so, 
we, you know, because so much is about perception, I feel like for most of us, like there's no per- perception of impropriety, but in other contexts, people say, no, we, maybe we do actually have that concern, even with someone who you would say, like, there's no reason to be, to suspect them. Um, I just want to, just because I am noticing the time and I just want to share something as a person who I guess doesn't practice Yehud. Um, so one of the things, I talked about this a little bit before, but there are certain ways in which uh, you you categorize people based on their um, based on their denomination, right? So no one on this call, I don't think, would assume that I keep the laws of Yehud um, because my movement is not a movement in which we keep the laws of Yehud. Now, we do for a marriage, but we don't before before a marriage. Everyone... Everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, most people know what Yehud is in terms of what happens after the chuppah. Not everybody knows that Yehud is a thing that also should be, uh, should be taking place beforehand. So one of the things, and I've spoken to Rabbi Pernick about this quite a bit, one of the things that I often wish <laughs> is that there, there was an element of Yehud practice just because I think that there is something there, I'll, even along the lines of what we were talking about last week with just boundaries, right? Having safe boundaries, having healthy boundaries, having respectful boundaries for people's space, I think is important and comes when you keep the laws of Yehud. But if you are a, pers- if you are a person who does not keep the laws of Yehud and someone of the opposite gender comes into your office or comes to your home or whatever it is and, and you don't have the kind of the rules in place as to how you keep that distance, that is often a difficult thing to try to draw a line in a nice way. Um, So this is not the story that Rabbi Pernick wanted me to share, but when I was working up north, um, there was a time in which I found myself in a situation where I ended up in a room with another male um, and nothing, nothing happened and it wasn't, it wasn't inappropriate, but I would have felt more comfortable had the door not been closed. Um, And that's not something that in my quote world is, is happening regularly, right? I, I think that that is something that you would expect to have a door closed behind you if you're meeting with someone about something that's sensitive or, or um, you know, a topic that they just want your advice on as opposed to being aired to the public. Um, and so I just wanted to share that. I think that it's an interesting, it's an interesting way that we think about how these laws also affect us in ways that um, we might not be interested in keeping them 100%, but that if there were elements of them in our lives, how that could be something that was, that put a boundary in, in such a way that would make things feel actually safer or, or more um, boundaried, more uh, kind of boundaried. I'm not going to... Oh, I just want to say that in 2020, mm-hmm. there's all this focus on sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. So I know um, in my own personal experience with a rabbi that he never left the door closed when he was with a woman yeah. uh, because of claims of sexual harassment. He yeah. didn't want to be accused of anything. Right. Um, so I would think you don't need the laws of Yichud to help you with that. You need a sensitivity to just boundaries between males and females in general. And we have them now because everybody's so sensitive about sexual harassment. Well, it's kind of become good, good, you know, practice, just general, good professional practice, aside from the halakhic aspect. Um, I want to, I know the Freedmans have uh, had their virtual hand raised for a while and Norm, I see Jeff, I see Jeff also. So we'll start, your, we'll go across on my screen. So I have the Freedmans first and then Norm and then Jeff. Um, I, I actually had an adoption question. I hope I'm not changing the topic here too much, but you were talking about how some people will, you know, the problems that they have with uh, adoption there because of Yehud. But I've heard that in some Orthodox circles that they would actually prefer to adopt 
a child who's not Jewish. Yeah. Because they don't have to worry about whether they're a mamzer or they're a Kohen and so on. Yeah, no. Um, yes, that is true. And also when it comes to the Yehud questions, it's sort of less problematic. There's fewer, yeah, there's fewer issues there. Um, if, you know, with the adoption, right, the, I mean, the child's converted, but they're sort of converted to this family. So I, yeah, there, for a number of reasons, um, there is a preference in, again, more in the Haredi world than the rest of the Jewish world, but there's a preference to adopt often sort of babies from areas that are historically Jewish areas for social reasons so that they'll fit in, you know, they'll look like everyone else, but who are not halakhically Jewish. So like, you know, Bulgaria, Eastern Europe, a lot of times, like there's a lot of adoption in the Haredi world from Eastern Europe um, of children where, you know, that's sort of in, seen as the ideal in some ways is like someone who's not Jewish, but could pass easily physically as Jewish, which of course is problematic, but that's, that's often the way. Um, yeah, you don't have to worry about whether they're a mom's there. You don't have to worry about whether they're related to anyone biologically, all those things. Very much. Norm has his hand up. But how would that change the Yichud issue that you brought up? So, I mean, the Yichud's not really right. It, here we're talking about Yichud with a, a Jewish child and, or sorry, Jew, you know, two Jews. Oh. So I'm, I'm trying to think it through because I, I know that there's the distinction there and I'm trying to remember why that would be. And maybe it's not, maybe the Yichud thing actually is a piece, a piece of it. Because once the child converts, they're converted, they're Jewish. Um, so it might be that the, sort of the parents take on, right, there's sort of someone needs to attest. Usually like when, a, when we do a gear katan, when you convert a child, there's sort of like somebody who's responsible for like taking charge of this child's Judaism. And so I'm thinking that if that's the parents who take that on, then in some way they become more halakhically this child's parents than if the child is born Jewish. Um, so that's what I'm wondering. I don't remember exactly how, but that's that's what comes to mind. Like it almost might make, right? The same reason that when someone converts, the, their name becomes, you know, Ben Avraham Visara, because it's sort of like you now are a new person with new parents. You're sort of starting fresh in a new way. So I want, I'm thinking that might be a part of that, that it's sort of seen as a rebirth when you're, when you convert. Whereas if it's someone who's biologically Jewish, you're not reborn when you're adopted. That's yeah, what comes no, to no. mind. No. Um, I learned, I have two questions. One is I learned many years ago um, that um if you didn't have witnesses to the fact that you had been alone, the two of you who were going, who could testify that you had been alone and perhaps would testify that you had been seen alone, then you weren't going to be deemed to have been alone um, regardless of, you know, even if you'd been living together. And so that was an issue I wanted to raise that I learned from a rabbi more than 40 years ago. And the other question deals with, um, if the place where they're going to have the Yichud room has even a small window, because I, I know a story about friendly acquaintances of mine who got married and she had a particularly large, the bride had a particularly large dress that spread out a lot. And they were married in Westwood at a Sephardic synagogue where it turned out the Yichud room had a little window way up at the top and the rabbi who was marrying them decided this was not acceptable and they had to find a room that wasn't like that. And they ended up shoving them into a broom closet where they could barely fit and were sort of leaning on each other, but they were able to close the door and witnesses could verify they were in this room without windows all by themselves, even though they couldn't really even stand up, let alone sit down or do anything else. And they were stuck in there for whether it was eight or nine or seven minutes, I don't know or care. Um, but they described it as being just absolutely awful. Um, and But that qualified as their yichud at their wedding. And so I wish you'd address perhaps both of those issues, particularly the former one. Do you want me to address it? or uh, The former one? Wanna... Sure. I can speak to the specific synagogue even that he's referring to, but yeah, yeah. you can do the former one. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'm happy to take the former. So, um, right, this works in both directions. So, 
And what I mean by that is, you know, when it comes to a marriage, we need Yehud and you have two witnesses who sort of hang out outside the room um, to sort of attest to the fact that they've been alone together and we want them to be married, right? Married, you know, the goal of a wedding is for them to end up married. So like, you know, you need witnesses there, but it's sort of not, I'm not going to say not a big deal. It's important, but um, it's the, you know, we're hoping that this wedding is completed correctly. Um, on the opposite side, and I think Norm, what you're touching on is, you know, if if we know that people were alone together, say, you know, in a problematic case um, where they shouldn't be alone together, what do we do? Um, and so, basically, the the general practice is right when it comes to a, an affair, for example, it's hugely problematic halakhically for you know a let's say for a woman to you know, who's married to then sleep with another man and then go back to her husband. You actually can't, um, halakhically. So it's a big problem. It's also a problem for the man um, to, you know, sleep with a woman, especially if she's married, right? These are huge issues. And, you know, we said when there's seclusion, when there's yichud, we sort of assume that there's sex as well. Um, So essentially, halakhically, what we do is we try to find any possible reason to get you out of those concerns, right? Even if, even if the person says, yeah, we had sex together, we're like, uh, you, maybe you misremember it. Um, you say like, well, we lived together. Like, oh, maybe there was someone else who could see it. Right. Like if, if the woman becomes pregnant, you have a problem. Um, but other than that, we, I mean, this came up for people who were here with Schtissel. This came up in Schtissel where like the guy goes and has an affair to, you know, goes to Argentina and has an affair and all that. And the rabbi is like, did you see it with your own eyes? Like, didn't happen. I mean, that's actually halakhically what we do. It's sort of like, if it, if there's any possible way to say it didn't happen, then we say it didn't happen. Um, but that's sort of to allow the couple to remain together if they want to remain together and so forth, because you have all kinds of a halakhic mess if there's, you know, two witnesses who testify to the fact that they were together and, and so, um, yeah, with the Yichud room, like it's, there shouldn't be windows. I mean, if it's a window that really goes nowhere. No one it's a, it. Yeah. The, if I'm thinking of the particular shul that you're thinking of this is where my aunt and uncle got married also. And I remember the Yichud room because I was the one who brought in the appetizers. Um, and, uh, and it is, it, the, the window is not one. If, if I've never done a wedding there. If I were a rabbi doing a wedding there, I would not worry about this particular window. Um, it's not a window that people can easily see into, nor is it a window easily accessible. Um, I think that when when there are windows in rooms, in yichud rooms, I've had, as Karen just said, like as long as the drapes or the, the blinds or whatever can be shut so that no one can see in, if that's really the only space, which sometimes if you're having like an outdoor wedding, there's really only one or two rooms to really go into, um, then, then that, then that's fine. At least to my standards, that's fine. Um, the, the issue is being able to see in, right? So the fact that you might be able to have some kind of public, uh, exposure, right? Makes a place then not Yichud because Yichud is this idea that you're alone together. So, um, yes, if, if we're thinking of the same shul, then, then that window to me at least is not a problematic window. And they shouldn't have to be in a broom closet. That's ridiculous. <laughs> right. right. A window by itself doesn't make it a, a, a problematic from a Yichud perspective. It's only if it's a window that people can see into. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Jeff, I know, had a hand up before. Um, no, I, I was just wondering, uh, speaking of windows, in the everyday world, in you know, the business world or in the educational world, a lot of offices have windows. Yeah. In you know, so a teacher could call a, a person in or a business person could have somebody in, in their office with the windows, with the blinds not being drawn. Uh, so would that be, you know, that would that be any issue at all? No, I think that's, for, really, uh, that's, that's how you get around it. Right. I mean, like, just from professional practice, not halakhically, just like good professional practice, you know, we were told to ensure that, like, uh, yeah, uh, the offices had windows. Yeah, Rabbi Schatz, go ahead. No, no, that's fine. No, I'm just saying that's that's something we were, you know, told to make sure, you know, to make sure that, uh, you know, if we had an office that there was always a window or something, you know, where not for Yehud reasons for like, 
professional practice reasons. Yeah, yeah. Bonnie, you've had your hand up for a very long time, but you have to unmute yourself first because I can't hear you. Wait, you have to unmute, Bonnie. Um, according to what you said earlier, the reason for the laws of Yehuda to prevent rape, what does the Torah and the rabbis say? What do they say about rape and what are the punishments for rape? That's a great question. Um, I mean, it's not a one size fits all. Like, I mean, there, there's different punishments and different things and different things based on the situation. You know, if you're raping, a, for example, a married woman, then that's punishable, I believe, by death. Um, I believe that's by death. The, so raping a woman, you know, a single unmarried woman, that's sort of what we were talking about a little bit last week, where from the Torah, it's actually the punishment isn't so severe. They say, you know, you have to pay the father, the bride price, essentially, and you can't ever, you know, the husband can't divorce her. This is, again, if you just follow the Torah and not the Talmud, it's sort of like you pay, you pay the bride price to the father and, um, the, you know, you can't divorce her of your own volition. The husband can't because, like, you sort of... <laughs> You're married. You took on this responsibility. Um, and so, you know, and so it, it is what it is. That's part of, by, you know, what we were talking about last week with mikvah and so forth was to sort of establish stronger restrictions, which would have stronger penalties to prevent, again, it can be consensual sex or rape, but to try to make instances of, of sex outside of those permissible contexts sort of more halakhically problematic. So people were, are less likely to do it, but it's, you know, it's not like all rape is punishable by death. It really depends on... So, so essentially, if a man rapes a woman, an unmarried woman, it's not considered rape. He just has to pay. Oh, yeah, it is considered rape. It's just that there isn't, you know, as opposed to there being, you know, theoretically at least a death penalty for raping a married woman, um, there isn't that same, right? The punishment is different, but it is considered rape. And again, because the punishment... I thought that he paid the bride price and they're married at that point. Right, but it, because he, he raped her... How is her, that right? Because he, he raped her. And so, again, I mean, right, and the Talmud sort of tries to work around this because it, it doesn't like that being a viable way of marrying someone. Um, but it's sort of assumed that it's better for a woman to be married because marriage is a form of protection in that world and once a woman is raped in that world of the torah it's going to be really hard for her to get married because she's not a virgin anymore so it's sort of like you brought this problem about so now you have to take responsibility for uh, for it on the man again that's so you know societally that changes and, and so the talmud sort of tries to work around that. But, you know, from the Torah's perspective, it, it's certainly considered rape. It's just that the question is, what do you do now? Like this, this happened, what happens now? Um, and so. Yeah, I, yeah and my, and the, how I see it, if a man rapes a woman, pays for her, and he, she's now married to him, that doesn't look like rape to me at that point. I don't think that the woman's feelings have been considered. It's like, he's, she's now his property. That, I don't well, the problem, the problem, Bonnie, is that the problem is that we're we're bringing this into a modern day context in which it can't be brought, right? Because what we're talking about is modern day um, thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly, modern day thinking, right? And and when we think about what Rabbi Pernick is sharing, it's it's a hundred percent not modern, and the way in which a woman was. Um, thought of was as needing a man to take care of her. And so if she was raped, which obviously was a terrible thing, but she would actually go down in status as a person for whom now finding a partner to take care of her would be much harder. And so the ideal way of taking care of that scenario was to actually partner her um, so that she had someone to take care of her. Again, none of this is good. I wouldn't say, and I don't think that's what Rabbi Pernick is saying, he's, Pernick isn't saying like, this is how it should still be done. But what he's, what he's explaining is how it was once done and the way in which um, it was once understood. But of course, in today's world, if a woman was, was raped, we would never say in any, I don't believe any denomination of Judaism, would we say, 
okay, well now you have to marry your rapist because that's the only way that you're going to find any consolation in having a male partner. So I think we just have to, there are some things in the Torah that we know of and that we teach that are difficult and we teach them because they happened, but we, we, we try not to, you know, put them together with real life experience because as, as you are grappling with rightfully so, it's hard to bring our understanding of these things back into the way that the Torah understood them. Would it have been considered more of a sort of a, a prohibition or like a threat to mostly men? Like if you marry this woman, if you rape this woman, now you have to marry her. So there's less of a, would you consider more less consideration on her much more of a, this is going to be your punishment if you do this. I don't think that it was seen as a punishment. I think that if a man, if a man, I mean, even in terms of No, I mean, I was going to say, I do actually do think, I do think it was seen not as a punishment, but as a responsibility of like, you can't just, again, and this is consensual or non-consensual. The, same, the rules don't change whether it's consensual or non-consensual um, about sleeping with a, an unmarried woman. Um, it's, it's sort of like, okay, you did, like, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to have a fling or I'm going to do this thing and, and have there be no repercussions. It's like, now this is a life choice um, and there's lifelong ramifications for what you did, right? So whether it's, you know, punishment or whatever, like you, you can debate and whether it's, you know, it, again, it's certainly not an ideal outcome, certainly for the woman. Um, but I think, I do think to Terrell's point that there is something there about sort of saying to the man, like, you can't just pretend that this goes away. This is with you for the rest of your life. <laughs> I think Father, I had his hand up. Yeah. You have two interesting situations in the Torah that I think relate to this. Um, near the end of Deuteronomy, Devarim and Kitate say, you know, when a man acquires a woman prisoner and the Torah is very clear, you know, he wants to have her, but he really has to go through this period and she has to go through this period of cutting her hair and her nails and wearing plain clothing and no makeup, you know, and all this. And he's not allowed to even touch her. But then after 30 days, if he still has those feelings for her, which the Torah is basically trying to get rid of the testosterone and, and you know, and all of that. Um, but if he still wants her, she doesn't really have a choice. I mean, he, he marries her and he's not allowed to divorce her. But the other one I was thinking of that relates, which is dealing with a Jewish woman, is with Dina and Shechem, where, you know, Dina's brothers say that she was raped. But if you read the story, you know, from what we can tell, she doesn't seem that unhappy. And Shechem wants to marry her. And of course, you know, so look, clearly, I think all of us would agree that rape is a is a horrific crime and it's a it's a crime of violence. And as it was pointed out, a power play and, and all that and more. But sometimes different people will use the term rape when that's not necessarily or, or let's say that's subject to interpretation, as in, you know, Bray Sheet 34, where the brothers just feel, you know, our, our Jewish sister is, is with this non-Jew, so he obviously raped her. And, right. you know, when I read the story, it's like, well, you know, she's glad, you know, she sees them. She's not like, please take me away from here. You know, thank God you're here. You know, it's, uh, so it's, it's complicated. Yeah. Definitely. Can I just add one other thing and I'll zip yeah. it? So many, many, many years ago, um, when uh, I was doing bar and bat mitzvah tutoring, and my temple president came to me and not exactly the window thing, but said, I don't want you doing any bar bat mitzvah tutoring unless there's another adult, you know, in the next room or whatever, which, you know, if one works a nine to five schedule, then, you know, presumably that can be done. But as I pointed out to my president, you know, bar and bat mitzvah tutoring, like a rabbi schedule is not nine to five. You're doing it kind of at all kinds of weird hours. I said, if you want to have somebody here at all those hours of the day, fine. But, you know, I do have windows and, and all of that. So, um, you know, again, it's, there's the Talmudic world, but I, I think that's where we, we end up with all of this, that not everything fits so closely within set rules because um, it's, it's kind of like with Josh and myself, 
uh, I don't know if this is a, a secret rabbi shot, so this may be another thing. So we've been participating in a fantasy baseball league for many, many years together. Not a secret. Not a secret. Okay, good. And <laughs> there are all these Boston high power attorneys who are part of this league. We have a constitution that I don't know how many pages it is, you know, to cover every single contingency that possibly could occur in a, ba a baseball situation. And yet every single year we have several things that come up and it's like, that's, you know, it's not in the constitution. It's never happened. What do we do? So I I'm just saying that you can make all the rules you want, but sometimes you kind of have to improvise. Yes, Rabbi Barbara. When I was in Beaumont, Texas, <laughs> After And it was probably after my first or second year. And they were renewing the temple's insurance policies. And it was also around the time that there was a lot beginning with the Catholic priests. And they, not they, the insurance company put into the insurance agreement that I could not be in a private room when I was tutoring that there had to be either the door open or a parent or someone present. Yeah, and yeah. And it's it's a still thing to today. I mean, I, I think- I'm sure it is. Yeah, it's a big, I mean, we, yeah, we, we make sure with that, that students specifically, but also congregants feel comfortable in our presence, no matter if they're yeah. of the same gender or opposite gender. I think, you yeah. know, we want to make sure that that by closing a door, I always ask when I used to work in an office, I always ask people, can I close the door or do you want the door closed? Sometimes I would say, um, because if they say no, then OK, fine, then we'll have the door open. Um, but I never want to be in a situation in which someone can say, well, Rabbi Schatz, close the door during our meeting. So, you know, that's yeah. not it's there's there's a lot. And, and that was something that I think Rebecca was it who brought up the um the uh, uh, just the ways in which our world has changed around this. And I think the one thing I'll say before Rai Parnik uh, closes us out is that I, I see the sexual harassment piece as definitely a, an issue and something that we have worked on very well in, um, uh, not perfectly, but we have worked on in society um, and something that we're constantly dealing with. And I think that Yehud also... Um, is, is separate and apart from that in which I, I would want to think that, that the laws of Yehud are keeping separation uh, again so that people can feel as though when it is appropriate to be together that they can be together. Whereas when it's not appropriate to be together, that you're not. So if you are in a room with someone of the opposite gender for whom it wouldn't be an appropriate thing for you to be seen together in a room behind a closed door, you shouldn't be. And if it is an appropriate thing, even if in my life, even if they are of the opposite gender, then I don't worry as much. But you know when it feels appropriate or not appropriate. And that's where I think my comment based on not living a life uh, in Yichud, right, that that uh that that's where I I sometimes reach out for those certain elements to bring in less because of the sexual harassment piece and more so for the for the sanctity of being able to say this is how I'm going to craft this moment or not uh, based on the person who I'm in that room with. So I think Rai Parnik is going to close things out for us. Though I see the Freedmans have a question, so if it's a quick <laughs> question, we'll take it Welcome. and then Rai Parnik yes. will finish. Yeah, let's take the Freedmans. Wow. Okay, sorry, I I had typed in the thing so to remedy the man and woman not being together is it ever acceptable that another woman can be there and have two always. women and a man i know always. it's problematic that's yeah. always because because a woman yeah. i i uh, my cousin had said well you can't be the chaperone for me and my fiance because you're a woman and you're my first cousin and you know you're you're uh, uh eligible also but okay so there can be um two women and a man yeah, or a child. So, I mean, huh? you know, so this comes up, um, you know, we, we try really hard to make sure that um, things are timed so that when a woman gets married, she's not in Nida. Because um, if she's in Nida, she's not allowed to be. And once they're married, you know, there's, Yichud isn't a problem with the married couple, even if the woman's in Nida. Um, but until they're married, it is a problem. And so actually what, what 
we do, I mean, again, we try to make sure this doesn't happen. And, you know, even in the Haredi world, people will use things like birth control pre-wedding to make sure they have things timed so that the woman can go to mikvah right before the wedding. Um, but in a case where the... When Rabbi Parnik says in Nida, he means literally on her period during her wedding, right? Yeah. Or, or during those days. Within those days of, of so, yeah. I just wanted to but, be... Use yes, them. the days of, correct, you know, that where she can't go to mikvah because she's, you know, still um, on her period. So in that, and what they actually do in those cases is they'll have a child in the yichud room um, and, you know, have someone that, you, you know, and things like that and make sure that they're not in the apartment together and so forth to make sure that they're not actually in yichud until she can go to mikvah. So, um, you know, so... This I forget what what comment did that made that arise for me, but um, the idea because oh, Rebecca's comment about um, you know an extra person in the room yeah so as long as there's someone else and even if it's a child as long as the child who's old enough to know what's going on um, like vaguely to know what's going on um, then it's then Yehu doesn't apply that was that was the reason why um, so yes yeah, so well I mean I'll, we'll just. Close it out here. I mean, a lot of obviously our conversation sort of gone in a lot of different directions. Um, and I, I do think it's important, you know, I'm generally of the approach of like being Don the Cuffs to Jewish tradition, like assuming sort of good intentions and good um, that things are there in our tradition for positive purposes. And I do feel like Yichud is very much one of those. A lot of the things we talked about, about like rape is really bad, it's really a terrible thing to happen. Um, the story of Amnon and Tamar is sort of like, oh no, this is something we need to really be worried about. And so even though Yichud sometimes can be annoying, um, like there's real benefits to it, right? That's the whole sort of idea is like, if you're not going to be alone with another person, then we don't have to worry about it. Now you might say people, men should be able to be alone with a woman without us worrying about them raping the woman. Like clearly that's- Or doing anything with the woman or doing anything, but like, at the same time, to have that as a fence built in to say, if you're not alone with them, there's a very good chance nothing bad, nothing untoward is going to happen. Um, it's, you know, and again, as Rabbi Schatz touched on, you know, society has sort of developed and these, you know, awareness around sexual harassment and so forth, but um, I do think that- claims is his reason. Uh-huh. Right, so you're a lot, right, Mike Penn's claim, right, who will not have him, you know, will not go to a restaurant alone with a woman um, and so forth, which has its own problems as well in a, you know, in a professional place. But there is, I think, an importance as well to sort of ensure that nothing untoward happens. Um, And I mean, as it's touched on in a few times, a few different ways, I, I think that those boundaries and there being clarity around those boundaries is important because, Sometimes things change and someone who we thought, you know, there was no romantic, nothing romantic going on, like with Amir and Yifat, suddenly that changes, the dynamics change. This is something that happens all the time. Or there was a misunderstanding, you know, one person thought things were a certain way and the other didn't. All sorts of situations arise. You know, those are both things we see in this episode and are both things that happen in real life. And so there is, I think, a benefit, um, even for people who don't keep Yihud, of sort of having that clarity around boundaries and that consistency around them um, to be able to sort of put those fences in place to avoid problematic things from us. So I think with that, we'll call it a night. Wish everyone. Thanks for all sticking around. This was a much longer class than usual. Um, And we will see you next year. Next Next uh, year. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.